Welcome, everyone. Today is indeed a special day. <clears throat> what a privilege it is to see God raise up Anna and for the opportunity to send her out in a few weeks from now. I encourage you to join her prayer team. I, I, I'm sure, knowing Anna, God is going to do some mighty things through her in Mexico. It's also a special day, and the reason that we had one of the reasons we had Pierce uh, pray today, because we are installing four new deacons today into service here at Chantilly Bible Church. And we're also this morning taking the opportunity, which I think we don't do nearly enough, to acknowledge and thank our deacons for their faithful care and service here within the body. And to introduce my sermon topic today, I want to offer you a couple of sports trivia questions. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yes. All right, thank you. I have to admit, you have to be a little old to get this right, but that's okay. Here goes. Since the National Football League was developed in 1920, it has had only one team, one team alone, that has played a completely perfect 14-0 regular season. That same team went on to follow up that with the postseason and, and win three more games in the playoffs. And then they finished up the Super Bowl with a victory over the then Washington Redskins, 20-14. to 14. Anyone know what team I'm talking about? 1972. The, Miami. The, Miami, uh, the Dolphins, correct, the Dolphins. This undefeated season was led by Coach Shula and many highly notable uh, offensive players, and like quarterbacks Bob Greasy and Errol uh, Morrall, um, running backs Mercury Morris and Larry, don't you love the name Larry Zonka? It's almost like a lawnmower or something. <laughs> um, who became the very first teammates in the history of the NFL to accomplish having a thousand year, or thousand year, thousand yards season um, running there. Miami's offensive line also included Hall of Famers like Jim Langer, who was literally the center of the team and the anchor of the offensive team, and Larry Little, who was one of the most uh, famous offensive uh, guards in the NFL. But here's the thing. The thing I learned this week as I was researching for the sermon. Miami's offense was so impressive, and they received so much attention and publicity that the defensive unit, which, by the way, was the best in the league that year, received an unusual nickname. Anybody know what the unusual name was? Anyone? It started with Tom Landry. We all love the Cowboys, right? Tom Landry. And, uh, and, and then it was adopted by the press and by the fans, and Miami's defense became known that year as the no-name defense, the no-name defense. Sadly, what I think Coach Landry missed, and the fans and the press as well, is that what made that team so special was not just a handful of superstars, but rather it was the dedication of every player on that team, notable or not, that made the, the, the 72 Miami Dolphins play with such winnable excellence. And I open with that illustration this morning to remind all of us it's that very same kind of humility required to serve well as a deacon. Biblical deacons, you see, don't serve to have their own names praised, but rather to have the name of the Lord Jesus Christ praised. 
I also share that story today with you, that illustration, because I believe what's true of a winning football team is also true of a healthy, biblically-centered, functioning church. And that is that according to the scripture, what makes a church healthy, what makes it fruitful and effective is, is not a handful of superstars. Good thing, because we don't have any superstars here, right? But a willingness and a dedication of every member in that church to execute his or her position with excellence for the common purpose of building God's kingdom and bringing God glory. And a key factor for making that objective, uh, 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 objective a reality is our deacons. Our Chantilly Bible Church deacons, they model for us, they show us, they inspire us, they invite us to do what we ought to be doing in love every day. And so my thesis for this sermon today is deacons when they're rightly understood and rightly deployed, are an irreplaceable gift from God to our church. That being noted, when it comes to deacons, many churches, I think, struggle with what is a deacon and what does a deacon do? And so to help us better understand and, and this God-given gift and apply it properly, this morning, I want to ask and answer seven questions. Seven questions. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're going to start with is what is a deacon? What is a deacon? In the original Greek language that the New Testament is written, the word that is translated deacon, diakonos, simply means a servant. So congratulations everyone in a very generic sense, in a general sense. Every Christian, every believing Christian, to some extent is called to be a deacon. However, in the New Testament, we also see this description, this identification or, or designation is not just generic. In the scriptures, we also see a formal church office in which appointed servant members assume the physical, uh, assure that the physical needs are being met as God intended. And thus, if you're taking notes, my definition, my working definition for a deacon is this. Deacons are exemplary servants who excel in being attentive and responsive to the tangible needs in the life of a church, listen to this, by inspiring and by inviting members in the body to serve alongside of them. I'll leave that up for a second. Why do we need deacons? That's the next question I want to address. I think I've already implied it, but... Biblically speaking, we need to understand that deacons do not lead or oversee the church. Rather, they have the role of serving within the church, ensuring that the practical matters in a church, the logistical matters are being met. And in so doing, as we look at scripture here today, we'll see that they free up the pastors, they free up the elders from doing these tasks so that they can devote themselves to teaching and guiding and praying and leading the church. And here's the thing, a church without effective deacons may exhibit signs of healthiness for a while, but I am convinced that over time, if they don't have good solid deacons ministering in the church, it will have a very detrimental impact on the church. Now, interestingly, I did a lot of research. I've spent a lot of time this week looking at the subjects of deacon, 
the subject of deacon. And despite its importance in the New Testament, actually the Bible says quite little about deacons. So let's talk for a moment about when and where deacons begin in the scriptures. Again, apart from a passing reference in Philippians 1.1, and a list of qualifications which we'll look at in just a minute from 1 Timothy 3, and a possible, a possible reference in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, there is no explicit remarks on the office of a deacon in Scripture. Nevertheless, many biblical scholars, many believers, myself included, believe the initial appointment of deacons takes place in Acts 6. So I want to invite you to turn there in Acts 6. As you're doing that, I want to invite Philip Martin, one of our deacons, to come up, and he is going to lead us in reading together. Follow along with him as he reads Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7. Increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews against their, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve the tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So much. I appreciate you reading for us Acts chapter 7. Observe here that... Um, the early church was experiencing some significant growing pains. And these growing pains were making it quite difficult for the apostles to be able to minister appropriately to everybody in the ever-growing church. The Hellenistic Jews that are spoken of here were Greek-speaking Jews who had come to Palestine from other nations. And it's very likely that they did not speak or understand Aramaic. The Hebrew Jews, uh, widows, Jewish widows, were residents of the land who spoke both Aramaic and Greek. Interestingly, the word tables there, when we think of tables, we're thinking of them serving food, and that could have been very well part of what's being expressed here. But what we're talking about is the place where the funds and the supplies were administered by the church to the widows. And the fact that the outsiders, and I hope we can see this, were being perceived as being neglected, as you heard in the text, was creating a situation that literally could have divided the church asunder. However, the apostles handled this problem, what I believe, with great wisdom, and they did not give the enemy 
a foothold in this problem. Please note that the apostles neither dismissed nor minimized the complaint of the Hellenistic Jews here, and yet rather than risking getting sucked into and distracted by the ministry from the ministry of the word and prayer, they deputize, they deputize a separate group of spiritually qualified men to coordinate the resolution of this problem. Now again, because the Greek word diakonos is here in verse 1, and if you look down in verse uh, 2, they use the word diakonia, which means to serve in verse 2. So often we identify these men, these seven men, as the first or the original deacons. In reality, though, nothing is actually said in Acts 6 about the office of a deacon. Nonetheless, most biblical scholars agree that this passage provides for us the model for the office of a deacon, which would later be articulated in much fuller sense in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And that brings us to the next question we want to ask and answer. Why did deacons begin? Well, the scripture tells us why very clearly in verse 4. Did you hear it? Look at what it says here. The apostle said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, read quickly, I don't know how you respond to that. I mean, read quickly, this response might seem rather callous on the part of the apostles. Others may think, well, the apostles are, are elevating their teaching ministry above the practical teaching or the ministry there within the church, perhaps not even recognizing the latter is a real ministry at all. However, the prioritizing here in Scripture for prayer and for the Scriptures, by doing that, the apostles were choosing to stay focused on the the whole church's spiritual welfare, even as they affirm, this is the, the great wisdom, even as they affirm the Hellenistic physical needs are being met. And in so doing, they demonstrate a fundamental truth that I do not want us to miss here today. Take a look at this quote from an essay on the deacons by Matt Simhurst, Simhurst I'm sorry, Smithhurst. Uh, he's a writer for the Gospel coalition. Look at what he writes. It really caught me. A church whose elders are chained to the tyranny of the urgent, which so often shows up in tangible problems, is a church, listen to this, this is pretty graphic, it's hard to strengthen its arm. It's kind of a slow motion suicide. In contrast here, these seven sermons made it possible for the apostles to preach and to teach and to guide all the while having confidence that the practical needs of these believers, especially these Hellenistic Jewish widows, were being properly met. Folks, I've got to tell you as a pastor, this strategic division of labor in the early church was a, was a sign of great strength, and I still believe that is a good signal of strength in a healthy church today. Looking back at Acts chapter 6, I want to make one more final thought here. i present one more final thought. Perhaps one of the most overlooked roles of a biblical deacon is displayed here in this text, and that is preserving congregational unity. I don't know if we fully grasped how significant this problem was. This is not just a culinary gribble here. Uh, gibble here. Uh, the, the, the apostle notes Matt 
Smithhurst again, were faced here with a natural fault line that threatened the very, the, the very unity that Christ died for in the church. The gospel, after all, he writes, insists that unity in Christ supersedes all worldly differences. So make no mistake about it here, the apostles, when, when they delegate this problem to this group of qualified people, it wasn't because it wasn't important to them, but I would submit to you because it was important to them. Oh, they could have come up with a swift, superficial solution and just moved on, as we often do when we encounter problems. At least I've been known to do that. Instead, they handled it. They handed it off to well-qualified, godly servants with whom they were confident would wisely rise up and respond in creative and constructive ways, loving ways to promote and protect the unity and the harmony of the church. Amazing. It really is. With that last thought in mind, I want to look now. It takes a very special man to be able to do that. And I want to look at the qualifications. That's the next question. What are the qualifications of a deacon? What are they to possess? Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And, and look here at verses 8 through 12. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 12. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Their wives must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be the husband of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own household. Clearly, when you look at these qualifications, and we'll see the same thing next week as we look at the qualifications of an elder, God cares much more, if not more, about our character, about a man's heart, or about a servant's heart, than about our skills and our gifting. And the first designation, the first qualification listed is that of being dignified. Immediately I think, oh man, that means we've got to be perfect, right? No, this doesn't mean a deacon must be perfect because there would be no one qualified, including myself in this church, to fill the role of a deacon. What signifies qualified as, as being uh, qualified when we talk about being dignified? We're talking the candidate must be humble. They must be repentive. They should be a good example to the church of what it means to follow and to love and to share Jesus. And then reading on in our text, he goes on to point out six additional qualifications. And notice he starts out with three negative requirements. First, it says here, a deacon second must be not double-tongued. Not double-tongued. Um, and practically speaking, I mean, he's saying, hey, don't be gossipers. And by the way, don't say one thing to one person and then come over here and say just the opposite to another person. When a deacon speaks, Paul instructs here that it's of utmost importance that their words be true and rigorously honest. Integrity. Third, a deacon must not be addicted to much wine. This third standard prohibits the drunkenness or abuse of any substance that would enslave that deacon's heart or impair his judgment from doing his role. 
Fourth, a deacon must not be, I love this, a greedy chaser after dishonest gain. That's quite a mouthful, isn't it? The nature of a deacon's ministry often puts him in direct contact with church's money and resources, and honestly, with a lot of personal needs that he's dealing with, with people, inside and outside of the church. And so Paul warns against anybody being installed as a deacon who is deceptive and who cuts corners morally or is obsessing with money. You're just setting him up for failure. Now, after listing three negative requirements, Paul turns now to an additional three positive ones. Fifth, he holds fast, a deacon holds fast the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Although the primary responsibility for teaching and governing the church falls on the elders' shoulders, and their roles must never be confused, Deacons are not exempt from knowing and living out the scripture. In fact, I would submit to you that because deacons are on the front line of pastoral care providers here within our church, they are frequently confronted with situations where they have opportunity, the privilege to speak the truth of scripture and provide counsel. They need to know the word. They need to live the word. Sixth, a deacon must be tested and proven. And practically speaking, that means that deacons should have a proven track record of faithful service in their everyday activities of life as well as their ministry. There's not a two-pronged thing here. They're tested and proven in their everyday life as well as their ministries within the church before they are appointed to the office of deacon. And seventh, a deacon must possess a faithful family life. Folks, godly leadership, even though we forget it, begins in the home. If a deacon is married, he must love his wife and be faithful to her alone. A one man, a one woman man. If he has children, he must seek to raise them in an atmosphere of gentle firmness and joyful love. And so clearly, as we look at Scripture, it is a most serious and sobering matter to serve as a deacon in a church. Now, before we move on here, the next question, the next thing I want to, before we move on to the next question, one question I think that is maybe in everybody's mind. In ESV, verse 11, as I read earlier, interprets the word uh, gune or gana uh, uh, here in a plural, as a deacon's wife. You saw that in verse 11? I gotta tell you, the Greek word could either be translated women or wives, and that ambiguity results in at least three different interpretations. That these are the wives of deacons, as ESV points out, that these are women in general in the church, or these are deaconesses, which many churches adhere to. A reference to the wives of deacons could very well be true because as you look at verse 12, the very next thing it goes into is a discussion on the family and the family matters of a deacon. However, the term likewise here in our text often in similar cases introduces an entirely new group which could be supporting an understanding that these are women in the church or these are deaconesses as some many adhere to. 
So if you tell me, um, if you were a translator, where would you land a plane? That's admittedly a big debate, and it's been one for centuries. And it's something that we still wrestle with today. That being noted, one of our core values is that at Chantilly Bible Church, our authority in life and all that we do must be centered upon the Word of God. We not only want to be rooted in the Word, but we want to be faithfully living it out in every inch of our lives. I don't know if that's a proper metaphor. Individually and corporately, we want to live the gospel. And this applies to how we view church leadership. It applies to how we each play a role here. And we want to, we want to be humble enough to always be learning, growing, and obedient to the word of God. And so I'm asking, I'm wrestling through this. We need your prayers to hear God's spirit through his word and how every man and every woman and every child in our church is valued. And in how we could be most faithful in helping men and women to find that place that God has equipped them for, for building up the body here in Jesus Christ. Pray with us, pray for us as we wrestle through some of these questions that God will lead us in faithfulness to be obedient together to his word. So what do deacons do? That's the next question. Recently, our elders and our deacons together read through this book, great book, uh, Matt Smithhurst on deacons. And it's a long title, uh, Deacons, How They Serve, How They Strengthen the Church. Fantastic book if you want more information on that. And in this book, Matt notes that at its broadest level, the Role or ministry of a deacon encompasses three broad things. I want to share those with you if you're taking notes. First, deacons, and we've already said this, spot, they're focused on, and they meet tangible needs. Here's what he says. A deacon is an official servant recognized by the church to spot and take initiative to effectively meet any tangible needs that threatens to distract or derail elders from their primary responsibilities. Now listen carefully. That does not mean that deacons at Chantilly Bible Church are the lone rangers of service and ministry here. Ephesians 4 very carefully calls for the equipping of saints to assist in the caring of the sick, the widows, the orphans, the prisoners, the impoverished, and anyone else who may have a need within the body or honestly outside this body. We have people coming regularly. Ask any of the deacons how many people they help each week and month. This means that along with the elders, a deacon is a stable, faithful presence in the life of the church, which is meant to spur others to do the same. And here's the thing, without the support and help of caring membership, loving membership, deacons will certainly succumb to compassion, fatigue, and burnout. And I can tell you, needs will not be met in this body if you are depending on, what, how many of us? 11? 11 men to meet all the needs in the church. Deacons not only react to the present problems, but they are anticipating regularly the needs that are coming, the future needs. I love them dearly. 
Second, deacons protect and promote church unity. That comes out of our text here. Just as the seven were tasked to salvage the unity of the Jerusalem church, so deacons today are meant to play a pivotal role as, I love this term, I saw it, shock absorbers in the congregational life of a church. Therefore, qualified deacons must be increasing in the resembling the kind of unity, building wisdom and love that the Bible so clearly commands of every faithful and obedient member in the body of Christ. Third, deacons serve and support the ministry of the elders. We've talked about this a lot, but you can't separate the, the purpose of the deacons is inseparably tied to enabling elders to stay focused on their teaching and prayer ministry in the church. That being noted, serving as a deacon role, I want you, I, I don't want to short, sugar, it, it's, a, it's a service ministry. It's a sacrificial ministry. It is a commitment to meeting the needs of others. And I got to tell you, a lot of it is thankless grunt work, behind the stage things. And many deacons can attest to the fact it is a 24-7 calling. You only do it if you're called or you're crazy, as they say. Look at verse 17, though, and look at the promise that God gives to a deacon who faithfully carries out that ministry. For those who served well as deacons, writes Paul, gain a good understanding for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, yes, by the world's standard, being a deacon may seem unappealing and unattractive and boring. But according to the scriptures, there is a great reward to those who faithfully fulfill this office. And here's another thing to consider. It struck me about midway through my research on this. If you think about it, serving as a deacon sums up the essence of spiritual greatness. Think about it. Look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 20, verses 20. Let's read them together. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Look, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. When a deacon looks for an example or a model, when an obedient believer looks for a servant to model himself after, there isn't any better model than Jesus himself. And thus the reward of a, a deacon is not in the temporary glory that comes from human adoration and praise and thanks, folks, but rather the eternal blessings that come from living a life of spiritual service to the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. My final question is really nuts and bolts here. We talked a lot about deacons. I now want to address the question, how can you, how can I, come alongside of our deacons and help them to more effectively serve our body here within the church. I have four thoughts. Looking back at Acts 6.3, I want to remind you there was a command given there for the congregational members to select from among themselves seven qualified men. You remember that? And it's because of that command, a few weeks back, we requested that our members submit Nominations for qualified men to serve as deacons in our church. And I hope that I've demonstrated today that the, 
the essential role that our deacons play and that the next time you're asked to submit qualified nominations, you'll understand and take that responsibility and that privilege a whole lot more seriously than we have in the past. Second, pray for our deacons. I, I, I know you've heard the phrase, prayer changes everything, and, and that's kind of an extra biblical slogan, but it is true. It really is. And so pray for our deacons. Pray that God will give them the strength, the wisdom, the guidance, the patience, the compassion, and love as they deal with, I'm telling you, some serious hurts and problems that are, they encounter here within our body and outside of our church. Financial, relational, emotional. They can't do that without God's help. Pray for their personal growth and walk in Jesus Christ, that they will be growing in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. And by the way, on a daily prayer guide, the weekly one that we present every week, every other day there's a name for a deacon. You can pray specifically for that deacon. Pray for their wives. Pray for their marriages and pray for their children too. I'll tell you, if the enemy wants to attack a leader, he always goes for the family. And finally, pray that God would raise up future deacons from among our body. They're sitting out there right there. Somebody out there sitting out there that I know is going to be one of our deacons. So as you pray, be careful. It just might be you that you answer your own prayer, right? And third, encourage them. I'm not talking here about da -da -da -da, kind of tooting horns and all that kind of stuff, big announcements. I'm talking about just from time to time, simply giving a thanks every now and then. Um, a quick testimony about how their ministry has impacted your life or the life of an, another believer that you're coming alongside of. I know we've got to do a better job of getting our deacons more in front of you so you can get to know them better. And we're going to try to do that this year. But you need to also reach out to them and get to know them better and pray for them as well. That would be a huge encouragement. And finally, fourth, serve alongside of them. Loving God with all our heart, soul, might, and mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves is a calling for every obedient believer, especially when it comes to the household of faith, the church. Folks, a failure to do so not only means that we're neglecting the use of the spiritual gifts that God has given us, but it's also the blessings of not having that impact on our body. And it's one of the surest ways that we can guarantee that our deacons will burn out. No one. I just had someone tell me this today. No, no one can do everything. And truthfully, God never intended that, that one person do everything. Right? If the church is going to have its needs met, it's going to take all of us working together. If you're here today and God's brought you to Chantilly and this is part of your church home, I ask you to think about and pray this week. Why did God bring you here? What gift, what talent do you need to be using to help us to see Jesus more clearly? There are no bench warmers in a church. I never wanted to be a bench warmer. I always was anyway, but, you know, but we have a purpose and find that that is. So volunteer, serve, come alongside of our deacons and meeting the needs of our body. You'll be blessed, they'll be blessed. In close, I want to invite Izzy Song to come 
now. Um, Izzy helps Isaac and I coordinate that deacons here. And I wanted him to share some of his personal thoughts about how we can come together, love, serve, and unify our body and reach our lost neighbors for Christ. Uh, good morning, church. Uh, thank you, Milt, for allowing me to share some of my thoughts on this topic as uh, one of the deacons at CBC. A lot of the service that goes on in our church family happens in the background and might not be readily visible to everybody in our church family, but it's definitely there. And as deacons, our job is to serve, but I would not want any of us to think that only the deacons are serving the practical needs of the church. Uh, everybody is called to serve. Service to one another is the lifeblood of every church. In the Gospel of John, Jesus set the example for us by washing his disciples' feet and then saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I would like every member of our church family, if you're not already involved in a CBC ministry, to prayerfully consider serving alongside the deacons in one way or another, as the Lord has equipped you to do. Uh, this summer, the deacons are going to be reorganizing themselves to be better able to connect you to different ministries and service opportunities. So please be on the lookout for communications from the deacons on more ways that you can serve our church body. Now, switching topics, I'd like to recognize the following deacons who have served our church uh, family for the last three years, in many cases more than four, in some cases five years. At church, I have only the highest praise for these brothers. Uh, they have visited widows, they have led service projects, they have served communion, they have helped those in need through the CBC Benevolence Fund. They are examples of true sacrificial service and integrity. And as I read their names, if they're here, would they please stand up? Uh, Greg Chong. Okay, Greg's in the back, serving on the AV team. Thanks, Greg. Uh, Jed Desari. Uh, Philip Martin. Piers Osborne. Nati Ramos. Uh, Norman Wong. And Lei Yu. Uh, church family, can we show our appreciation for these brothers? Thank you, brothers. Please be seated. Um, also, I would like to highlight the following deacons who are continuing to serve as deacons. Would they please stand if they're here? Uh, David Chapman, Alex Lin, Daniel Sun, Zhang Rong, and myself. I'm already standing, so. All right. Thank you, brothers. Thank you, brothers. Please be seated. Uh, lastly, I'd like to introduce to our church family the following brothers who have volunteered to assume the office of deacon for a new term. Um, I think they were here last service. I don't know if any of them are still here. Arkides Miranda, Josh Roundtree, Bing Wei, and Li Chun Zhang. If you guys are here, would you come up front for the installation along with all the elders? And I'll hand this over to, uh, to Milt for the installation. We're going to have the new uh, deacons come up and the scriptures.
describe a laying on of hands and a praying kind of to express our unity and our desire to serve our Lord together. So if the, the new deacons could come up into the center here, we're going to have a word of prayer with these guys and ask God's blessing, much to the extent of what I just shared with you about how to pray for them. Father, we are so grateful for our deacons. We thank you, Lord, for the example that they are to us, their love for this body, their love for your word, Lord, their desire, Lord, to bring honor and glory to you as a minister in such faithfulness, Lord. Father, we know that their task is a big one, and we thank you for these new men that are stepping into this role. Lord, as I mentioned earlier, we want to pray right now that you will give them the strength, the wisdom, the guidance, the direction, and uh, the wisdom, Lord, that they will need, Lord, to come alongside of people that are hurting and to provide them, Lord, with the, the hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. And the, the practical needs could be met. We pray for their wives. We pray for their children. We thank you for them. As, uh, as we know, Lord, when these men step in, in many ways, their wives are going to be a tremendous support in helping them, Lord, to minister faithfully. We also pray, Lord, that uh, through these men, Lord, you will uh, help them to see and, and represent Jesus well as they're growing, Lord, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Help it to overflow in their lives and in their hearts so that everyone can see it, as uh, Pierce challenged us earlier. And finally, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to have wisdom and uh, unity as we serve together elders and deacons here to help meet the needs and pastor this church. To the glory and honor of our great shepherd, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As they're being seated, I'm going to invite Matt and the praise team to come on up and close us in song here.